0: Many states have risen up in open defiance. The legislative halls of the South ring loud with such words as interposition and nullification. But even more, all types of conniving methods are still being used to prevent Negroes from becoming registered voters. The denial of this sacred right is a tragic betrayal of the highest mandates of our democratic tradition. Give us the ballot and we will no longer have to worry the federal government about our basic rights. Give us the ballot and we will no longer plead to the federal government for passage of an anti-lynching law. We will, by the power of our vote, write the law on the statute books of the South and bring an end to the dastardly acts of the hooded perpetrators of violence.
1: Welcome to the Newsbeat Podcast where we examine critical issues of social justice. Each episode features interviews with prominent writers, educators, thought leaders, and activists, and is infused with original music and verses from independent artists. The Newsbeat Podcast, the New York Times Podcast Club Pick of the Week in January 2018, and featured podcast on Best of the Left. Here's your host,
2: Manny Faces. Hey, everybody. This is Manny Faces, producer and host of Newsbeat, the proud winner of the 2018 New York Press Club Journalism Awards Best Podcast Prize. We remix hard-hitting journalism with independent hip-hop to examine the most pressing social justice and civil liberties issues of our time. Welcome to another episode. First things first, Newsbeat is brought to you by Mori Creative Studios, an inbound marketing, sales enablement, and client retention platinum HubSpot partner agency. Learn how they can take your business to the next level at moreecreative.com. So let me first start off by saying that this episode was a real eye-opener for me. I mean, many of them are, but this one, man, listen... We could talk for a long time about the dire need for prison reform in this country and the harsh, downright sick realities of mass incarceration, the school-to-prison pipeline, and the institutionalized racism and oppression against minorities and folks of color that fuels those injustices. We've done so in previous episodes and will no doubt be doing so again in the future. But there's a key and way too often overlooked component of this discussion. Felony disenfranchisement. It's a mouthful, I know, but easy enough to understand. Let me break it down for you, starting with what was most shocking to me personally, the numbers. So there are currently more than six million American citizens who cannot vote simply because they've been convicted of a felony at some point in their life. Six million. To put that in context, that's more people than the population of several states and U.S. territories and more than 50 countries in the world. The vast majority of these folks are African-American. In fact, one in every 13 black voters is blocked from exercising this right compared to one in every 56 non-black voters. The laws that make this a thing are currently in place in 48 states, with Florida being home to the greatest population deprived at more than one and a half million people. You may not know this, but only Maine and Vermont allow ex-felons to vote, including while they serve their sentences. Of course, there aren't that many African-Americans in Maine and Vermont, but I'm just saying. So how? Why is this a thing? Well, it's pretty simple. Jim Crow. These laws are modern-day vestiges of the racist, so-called Black Codes and Jim Crow policies instated in the wake of the Civil War to keep African-Americans oppressed, restricted from participating in very basic functions of white society, devoid of equal rights, their votes suppressed. It's just infuriating to me on so many levels. I mean, let's say you've done your time, okay? Whatever your offense. Firstly, you've survived. No small accomplishment on its own. Secondly, you've paid your so-called debt to society, yet you still can't participate in the very core functioning of a democracy to cast a ballot and weigh in on who you think should represent you and your country in office. The people's right to freely choose and elect their leaders is one of the key tenets of a free and democratic society. It differentiates us from authoritative regimes and tyrannical dictatorships. Instead, more than 6 million Americans have been stripped of that fundamental right, replaced with what is quite literally a civil death sentence. It kind of makes you wonder about the legitimacy of those actually elected by such a system and how accurate those results on election night really are, right? I mean, all those quote-unquote battleground and swing states and all those voices are being left out. As you might have heard, some pretty important elections have been decided by far fewer than 6 million votes. So, explaining all this for us and relentlessly fighting to protect the right of every American to participate in the democratic process is Desmond Mead, an attorney, the state director for Florida Live Free Campaign, and the president of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. I know firsthand the feelings
3: of not being able to vote. I know firsthand the experiences of uh, making the mistake and, and
2: paying for it and repaying that debt. Nicole Porter, Director of Advocacy at The Sentencing Project.
4: The curve for disenfranchisement has grown just like the curve for incarceration has grown since the 70s, mirroring the scaling up of incarceration in this era of mass incarceration.
2: And Sean Morales Doyle, Counsel in the Democracy Program at Brennan Center for Justice.
5: We are in an era where there are unfortunately a lot of laws being passed that restrict the right to vote in various ways that are aimed at voter suppression.
2: Translating these insights into an incendiary lyrical bonfire is our very special musical guest and artist-in-residence, hip-hop maestro, Silent Night. Okay, here we go. This is The Real Voter Fraud, Felony Disenfranchisement's Civil Death Sentence.
3: I've lost my civil rights and my ability to vote because I lay the blame primarily on myself with having a drug addiction. You know, and because of my addiction to drugs, I made quite a few mistakes in my life that which uh, a- allowed me to have felony convictions. Those mistakes also took me, drove me to being homeless. And, and for quite a number of years, I lived on the streets in Florida, uh, a homeless person addicted to drugs and with no hope. And eventually I ended up in front of railroad tracks in August of 2005 with no light at the end of the tunnel and I was ready to to end my life and I stood there waiting on the train to come. But by the grace of God the train didn't come that day and I I crossed those tracks and I checked myself into drug treatment and after completing about four months of that I moved into a homeless shelter and while living in a homeless shelter I decided to go to school and I enrolled in one of the local colleges uh, in South Florida and I uh, did real well for myself and eventually uh, got accepted into law school. And in May of 2014, I ended up uh, graduating uh, with a Juris Doctorate degree from Florida International University College of Law. So I know firsthand the feelings of not being able to vote. I know firsthand the experiences of, of making a mistake and, and paying for it and repaying that debt. And but what I know even more than that, is that feeling of even after repaying my debt, even after overcoming the obstacles that that I was able to overcome in my life to eventually graduate with a law degree, that feeling of, of the state of Florida just telling me I'm still not worthy, I'm still not worthy of being an American citizen, that I'm still relegated to a second-class citizenship status. That pronouncement was most profound last election cycle when my wife ran for office. You know, I wasn't even able to vote for her. Florida Rights Restoration Coalition has, for quite a number of years, been leading the effort around felon disenfranchisement. It's particularly important in Florida because Florida happens to have the distinction of being the worst state in the country as it relates to disenfranchising its own citizens. To date, we have over 1.68 million people who cannot vote or who do not have their civil rights restored because of a prior felony conviction. Just to put that in context, that's more people than the population of several states and U.S. territories and over 50 countries in the world. We account for... I believe a quarter of the total amount of people in the United States who cannot vote because of a prior felony conviction.
1: Nikki Johnson is a junior and the president of her student government program at St. Pete College. Years ago, she was convicted for having marijuana and another time for writing bad checks. She's never served prison time and completed her probation in 2010.
3: I understand now that my choices were choices and that those choices has made me the woman that I am today.
1: She lost her right to vote. Since then, she's been fighting to get. It back. The I-Team discovered Nikki is not alone. We found the clemency board under Governor Rick Scott. I deny full pardon. Has restored the fewest rights to non-violent criminal offenders who completed their sentences when compared to the past two governors before him.
3: And so our organization have been leading the efforts since, I believe, 2003 as it relates to changing these policies here in Florida, understanding the origins of these policies and the current impact that it has on all American citizens. We realize that there is it's very important for us to remove these Jim Crow legacies and allow American citizens to fully participate in the democratic process.
4: There are four states that disenfranchise persons with felony convictions for life. Those states include Florida, Virginia, Iowa, and Kentucky, unless the governor pardons a state resident, thereby reinstating their voting rights after a felony conviction. And there are two states, Maine and Vermont, where residents never lose their right to vote. So even persons who are incarcerated behind state prisons are allowed to vote. The curve for disenfranchisement has grown just like the curve for incarceration has grown. Since the 70s, mirroring the scaling up of incarceration in this era of mass incarceration, there were 1.17 million U.S. residents barred from voting due to a felony conviction in 1976. And in 2016, there were 6.1 million residents around the country who were barred for voting. The scale of disenfranchisement has increased just like the scale of imprisonment has increased over the last 30, 40 years or so.
6: There's a war going on. Going on. Ain't nothing civil. nothing civil. Every step of the way, they try and trick you. And if you get in the way, they try and trip you up. Uh, if this ain't Jim Crow, then it's a tribute. They scream voter fraud that someone submits to. They want them civil war ever laws to discontinue. Molded the system to work. It's official. Do you know how it feels? be wiped out? What well, six mil do? Jerry's hanging, heavy-handed, gerrymandering, Jerry- foreign languages. What's, What's cracking? What's really happening? Send them packing, so many unfair advantages. Survive hell, and can't vote because of some cannabis. Ain't that a bitch? crack will kill your own kind, plus add more injury to that when it's voting time. We told a line like some good old fine citizens instead of being noble and sublime in our convictions.
4: The reality of excluding people from felony convictions from civic life goes back to the founding of this country and even before you know the United States was created it was a policy that European colonialists brought over with them this idea of a civil death for people residents who had broken the social contract there are deep roots around that policy in the United States. policy was racialized as this country oriented itself around a racial caste system after the Civil War was concluded and there was this, there are essential questions about citizenship and what it meant to be a citizen in the United States, particularly since that fundamental question has been racialized since the founding and the orientation around resources in this country along race lines and other um, questions of class. Particularly for property owners, most of whom were white male residents. In the constitutional history of several states around the country, the record is clear that colonialists, white elites, and those state conventions created voting exclusion for residents, intentionally trying to exclude residents of color, including black men, specifically black men. In a state like Alabama, where the voting exclusions were included in the state constitution along lines of felony conviction, uh, the white elites who drafted in, wrote, and ratified the state's constitution had specific exclusions for felony offenses that they assumed were being committed by black residents. So in that state, there are felony offenses where people never lost their right to vote, people convicted of homicide in the state of Alabama when that state was first founded and the Constitution first ratified, never lost their right to vote, yet individuals convicted of robbery offenses did.
5: It goes back a long, long way to societies that predate the United States, but it really, in in that sense, dates back to concepts of government that we no longer really believe in, right? It dates to this idea that when you commit a crime, you're an outlaw, you're no longer part of the community, you're no longer part of the citizenry, and there should be like a civil death that is uh, visited upon you. We don't believe in that anymore. And in the United States, we've never really believed in that, I don't think. But that history aside, the, the history in the United States, though these laws existed in some form prior to the Civil War, they were limited, and they were sort of outdated. Once the Civil War ends and we have the 14th and 15th Amendments ratified that say that everyone in the United States has to be treated equally and that you can't deny the right to vote on the basis of race, we see a huge wave of these laws either being passed or being intensified, uh, amended in a way that, that adds new crimes to the list of crimes that can lead to disenfranchisement. There's both specific evidence in some states that this was done intentionally in order to disenfranchise African-Americans and just the trend itself demonstrates that. So after the Civil War, you see black codes is what they're referred to, criminal codes, changes to the criminal law that are that are put into effect in order to criminalize African-Americans. Um, and to limit their freedom after emancipation. And you see voter disenfranchisement laws, which work in tandem with these these efforts at criminalization of African-Americans to ensure that even though now, a state couldn't pass a law saying that black people, and in back then we're talking about only men, that black men couldn't vote, states could get around that by passing these felon disenfranchisement laws And then when you have all the structural inequality built into criminal justice systems, both back then and now, a felon disenfranchisement law ensures that you will have a disproportionate impact on people of color and also on people from lower income communities and generally people who are marginalized in other ways.
4: And so this history of excluding people from the right to vote based on color and other factors is deep in this country goes back decades, centuries at this point, and is something that this voter enfranchisement conversation is working to, to counter.
6: The tactics is mad slick. This shit is tragic. They stop one, two, three. It's like a hat trick. Cross check, but they ignore steps. If that ain't with their narrative, then pass the blame because they ain't having it. Chains on the ballot boxes. Catastrophic. But who can stop it? It's not just MAGA hat rockers. It's Democrat suit Playing fast loose. Lobbyists lining pockets and signing documents. It's obvious. Con artists and what seems to be the truth is they need legal excuses to keep being abusive. What kind of humanity is that? How you appeal to it? Waiting on a confession, you will be real foolish. Looking for a kind heart, ain't that bright bart, Might margin into your home or drown your ass without a lifeguard. It's not a cartoon, no, yo, it's true life. It's still America, but really it's like two kinds.
7: When across this country in 2016, there are those who are still trying to deny people the right to vote. We've got to push back twice as hard. Right now, in multiple states, Republicans are actively and openly trying to prevent people from voting, adding new barriers to registration, cutting early voting, closing polling places in predominantly minority communities, refusing to send out absentee ballots, kicking people off the rolls, often incorrectly. This should be a national scandal.
5: In the United States, across the country, we're kind of in this place with our laws where we see both restrictive laws and expansive laws being passed. It depends on the state you're in and we sort of see them going back and forth in different places, but we are in an era where there are unfortunately a lot of laws being passed that restrict the right to vote in various ways that are aimed at voter suppression, that are purporting to do good things or fight against things like voter fraud, but in reality, just we do voter suppression.
7: We're the only advanced democracy in the world that is actively discouraging people from voting. It's a shame.
5: These felon disenfranchisement laws are an example of that. They're, they're much older than many of these other kinds of laws that we talk about. They've been around much longer, but they are an example of a law that purports to be accomplishing some legitimate objective. One of them that people have probably heard about a lot are voter ID laws, laws that require people to show some photo ID in order to vote. I think those laws are often offered as a way of fighting against voter fraud.
7: Between 2000 and 2012, there were 10 cases of voter impersonation nationwide. 10. People don't get up and say, I'm going to impersonate somebody and go
5: vote. I think time and time again, studies have shown that in-person voter fraud is vanishingly rare, and these voter ID laws are just not necessary to accomplish that goal. And instead, the impact is that they stop a lot of people from voting and that that impact is felt disproportionately on certain populations, people of color, students, uh, elderly folks, We're very excited by the fact that there are some states that are hopefully have made and going to be making progress on these criminal disenfranchisement laws. So I live in New York and the governor of New York signed an executive order saying that he wanted a list of everybody on parole and people on parole in New York are barred from voting to be sent to his office every week so that he could consider them for a partial pardon that would give them the right to vote back. And then he announced he had restored the right to vote to 24,000 people living on parole in New York.
1: In this state, when
0: you're released from prison and you're on parole, you still don't have the right to vote. Now, how can that be? You did your time, you paid your debt, you're released, but you still don't have a right to vote. At the same time, we're saying we want you part of society. We want you to get back into the community.
3: You know, just imagining about what it would feel like to step into a voting booth and vote. (laughs) it's something that I kind of don't think all the way out because I get a little sentimental and sometimes it might get me a little teary-eyed just to think about that because I know I've seen it I've seen men and women who uh, on one hand would say that they didn't care about voting and come to find out that they said that because they thought that they couldn't vote and then when they found out that they could seeing how Tears would just stream down their face and then being with them when they go to vote for the first time and watching that look when they come out and how their eyes are red from crying. And, you know, that that I know it's going to be a powerful moment because as an American citizen, like I said, nothing speaks more to citizenship than having that opportunity. And for someone who has lost it and have been yearning for it for quite a number of years to be able to get it back. I know it's going to be a very emotional time. Let's be very clear with this. Any critic that's against this, right, are masking their reasons. At the end of the day, you know, I don't think it's hardly anyone that would say that they don't ever want to be forgiven for what they've done. That's what we're talking about, about the the part that a person has paid a debt. It's time for them to move on. You cannot continuously make someone pay that debt. The other part of this is that if your decision about whether or not a person convicted of a felony who have paid their debt should be allowed to vote again, if it's based in whole or in part on how you think they may vote, then your opposition is anti-American, it's anti-patriotic, it's undemocratic because you're looking to suppress someone's vote because they don't vote like you. And that is not what America is all about. America is about creating a more inclusive democracy. America is about having a diversity of opinions and and positions and we coming together as a nation and working through those things. Whenever you have to uh, decide about whether or not you want to support uh, restoring the ability to vote to someone, and in the back of your head, you're thinking about how they may vote or may not vote, that's inherently a problem with that. When we talk about an inclusive democracy,
6: we mean that we want an inclusive democracy for everyone, for everyone. Really gets the ball how you feel, how you feel though Soundin' like a broken record but it's real though Soundin' like a joke, you saying we're equal The black code still a fact though, yeah it's real yo A black hole if you call it what it is Three hour wait for the black, vote what it is Average wait for a polling place, 20 minutes They know they ain't right, taking names off the list They ain't taking doubles off when it's Jane Smith But soon as it's my brothers though, they turnin' plain tip Dead man walking, dead woman dead Set you up to fail every step, every trip They say you paid your debt, but it's only on paper though You still in the system, they just got you on laser scope How come only cons in Vermont and the main convoke Pendulum in the swing states, and who's favor though? They say there's not slaves no more They say they ain't racist, oh They say we free, explain it though Or how we make it so They say there's not slaves no more. They say they ain't racist, oh. They say we free explain it, though. Or how we make it so. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening.
2: Once again, I'm Manny Faces, Newsbeat's producer and host. I just want to take a few minutes here to recap what we'd consider some of the key takeaways from this episode and share a few ideas about how you can help do something about the issues raised. As important as it is for us here at Newsbeat to tell these stories, is to really try and help make a difference. And that begins with you. Now as journalists, we often ask ourselves two very important questions. What's at stake here? Why should people care? We hope the insights from our guests Desmond Mead, Nicole Porter, and Sean Morales Doyle help shed some light on both of these, and we hope you derive some inspiration from the passionate lyrical contributions of Silent Night. At stake is the legitimacy of actually calling ourselves a genuine, functioning democracy, really. Stripping American citizens of their fundamental right to vote for their elected leaders is a gouge at the very foundation of a free and representative democracy. It strikes at the very heart of what defines a government, as Abraham Lincoln once declared, of the people, by the people, for the people, and erodes the wall of justice, distinguishing it from authoritarian dictatorships, which thrive on a voiceless and an oppressed citizenry. At stake is maintaining and sustaining the enslavement of an entire race, not just serving as a barrier to the ballot box and suppressing the African-American vote, but protecting and extending the representative death grip of Jim Crow and the bigots who spawned these legal manacles. Felony disenfranchisement within the United States is born of racism, A modern-day continuance of the Black Codes and Jim Crow laws instituted in the wake of the Civil War to ensure slavery and oppression of the African-American race lives on. Why should you care? We try to keep these episode outros relatively brief, but there are countless reasons I could fire off. You should care because it's a perversion of the beliefs and values this country was supposedly founded upon. You should care because millions of Americans have lost this fundamental right, the living, breathing embodiments of racism's evil and self perpetuating civil death spiral, which is designed to thwart people of color but is ultimately colorblind in its wrath. You should care because banning just one citizen from their right, let me remind you, it's their right to vote, perverts the entire system's reality and distorts its outcomes. Never can we state our elected representatives are reflections of the people's will if some of those very people cannot in fact even weigh in with their choices. You should care because it affects you now and will affect us for all generations to come. You should care because it's un-American, whatever that means. You should care because it's simply not right. You should care ultimately because you have the power to help rectify this. How? Well, contact the groups mentioned in this episode. Show up at their rallies. Support their missions. Volunteer. Call up your elected representatives and demand that they support any and all legislative initiatives aimed at ending this archaic and racist disgrace. Email them. Visit their offices. Remember, they work for you. They work for you. Desmond Mead is the current state director for the nonprofit Florida Live Free Campaign and president of the nonprofit Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. The Live Free Campaign is a faith based movement to organize local communities across the country to reduce gun violence and end mass incarceration, and to generate the public and political will nationally to end the institutions and policies that contribute to the dehumanization of black and brown Americans. They can be contacted at livefreeusa.org and faithinflorida.org. The Live Free Campaign is part of the nonprofit PICO National Network. The nation's largest organizer of faith based congregations, with over 1,000 member institutions representing more than a million families in 150 cities and 17 states, including Florida. They can be reached at Pico Network, P I C O Network.org. The Florida Rights Restoration Coalition is a grassroots membership organization run by, quote, returning citizens, formerly convicted persons, dedicated to ending the disenfranchisement and discrimination against those with convictions and creating a more comprehensive and humane reentry system that will enhance successful reentry, reduce recidivism, and increase public safety. Contact them at FloridaRRC.com. Speaking about Florida, for all you folks out there listening in the Sunshine State, you can very literally make a huge difference with this issue and have real impact by getting out to your local polling stations and voting on a ballot initiative this November that would restore the right to vote to all those within the state who have had this taken away from them after they've served portions of their sentence, including parole and probation. It doesn't apply to people convicted of murder or felony sexual offenses such as rape or child molestation. But overall, this amendment to the state constitution would enable people to earn back the ability to vote. This could be good. Now, as I mentioned in the episode's intro, Nicole Porter is director of advocacy at the nonprofit The Sentencing Project. Founded in 1986, the Sentencing Project works for a fair and effective U.S. criminal justice system by promoting reforms in sentencing policy, addressing unjust racial disparities and practices, and advocating for alternatives to incarceration. Check them out at sentencingproject.org. The Brennan Center for Justice at NYU School of Law is a nonpartisan law and policy institute that works to reform, revitalize, and when necessary, defend our country's systems of democracy and justice. As counsel in its democracy program, Sean Morales-Doyle focuses on voting rights and elections, including automatic voter registration, voter fraud, and voting rights restoration. Contact them at brennancenter.org. Hip-hop recording artist Silent Night is Newsbeat's 2017-2018 Artist-in-Residence. As such, his vocal prowess is regularly featured on our episodes, and he has passionately chronicled topics including MLK's lesser-known civil rights initiatives like the Poor People's Campaign, uh, the true origins of the war on drugs, the U.S. government's war on journalism and press freedom, and the lack of universal compensation for those wrongfully convicted and then exonerated. SK has nearly a dozen albums under his belt, and he's also the frontman for the extraordinary jazz, rock, hip-hop, soul, fusion outfit, the band called Fuse. In fact, their mind-blowing collaboration on our season one finale, Why We Riot, which examined the systemic and institutionalized inequality, racism, and oppression impressed upon African-American communities and others of color, contributed to Newsbeat being crowned Best Podcast at the 2018 New York Press Club Journalism Awards. Now, real quick little humble brag. On that note, two more honors to mention that we were extremely humbled by. Uh, firstly, Newsbeat was recently named a finalist in the National Religion News Association and Foundation's Annual Journalism Awards competition. The mission of the Religion News Foundation is to strengthen and encourage religion reporting as a means of improving public understanding of religion. And RNA is known as the premier journalism association for people who write about religion in the news media. Now, just to give you a caliber of fellow finalists, let's put it this way. We're listed alongside 60 Minutes, NBC Sunday Today, WNYC. Other outlets named include the Associated Press, The Atlantic, The Washington Post, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times. Yeah, pretty big Check out Religion News Association and a full list of finalists at RNA.org. Most recently, Newsbeat had the supreme honor of joining community and ethnic media outlets and journalists from around New York City at the CUNY School of Journalism Center for Community and Ethnic Media's annual Ippies Awards and bringing home third place nods in its Best Multimedia Package category. For our episode examining the aforementioned lack of universal compensation for the wrongly convicted and exonerated, titled Exonerated and Broke. The Ippies are the only journalism awards in New York City to honor reporting in English and in languages other than English by the ethnic and community press. They're considered a benchmark of journalistic excellence and are a coveted prize for the publishers, editors, and reporters in New York City's ethnic and community press. So again, we're sincerely honored and encourage all of you listening to learn more about the school, the center, these awards, and all the many programs they host. Really, really extraordinary stuff. And a huge shout outs and thanks to co-directors Karen Pinar and Mohammed Jangir Khan, a.k.a. Jangir Khadik. We freaking love you, man. Seriously. Learn more about all the amazing work they do and get a full list of this year's winners, some great stories in there, honored to be among them, at ccem.journalism.cuny.edu. So big ups to all those other extraordinary journalists and outlets honored, our crew here at Newsbeat, our sister company, Mori Creative Studios, once again, moricreative.com, and a special uh, big ups to Newsbeat's executive producer, Mr. Jed Mori. Now again, I'm Manny Faces, and as always, thank you so much for listening. Check out all of our previous and future episodes of Newsbeat. Rate us, review us, subscribe. Uh, You can get all the information about us at usnewsbeat.com. You can support our Artists in Residence program with uh, your generous donations. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify, Podcast Addict, Podcast Casts, Overcasts. Wherever you find your favorite podcasts, we should be there. Definitely subscribe and keep up with us, and we'll keep bringing you stories like this. Peace, everyone. Stay informed. One love.
1: The Newsbeat podcast is owned by Newsbeat Inc. Visit us at usnewsbeat.com. The producer and host of Newsbeat is Manny Faces. Our editor in chief is Christopher Towarski Newsbeat's managing editor is Rashed Mian. The executive producer of Newsbeat is Jed Mori. Our podcast and website are co-produced and managed by Maury Creative Studios. Newsbeat relies on listener support and grants. Artists that appear on the podcast are compensated for original material. To support Newsbeat or contribute to our Artist-in-Residence program, visit us at usnewsbeat.com and click on support. Subscribe to Newsbeat by Maury Creative Studios wherever you download your podcasts by searching for Newsbeat.